This is a Media 8 production. You know, we, we're more than just one person. We're more than just us. We're a, we're a family unit or we're a community unit or we're a country or we're a, you know, we're a nation or, or we're the world. Like, there is a, an important place that we play where one part of a broader, bigger body and everyone's got different functions and that's super important to remember. The world is full of amazing people and once a week I get the opportunity to interview one of them. My name is Brett McCallum and this is Awesome Humans. Hey guys, born in Canberra, he spent most of his early life moving every two or so years in the northern New South Wales coastal towns due to his father's role as the bank manager with NAB. He's worked across multiple sectors, including McDonald's, the hotel industry, working in major events, Fairfax Media, working in advertising and marketing. He's run a cattle business, breeding Wagyu beef. He's been a director of Juice Media, who run the local Christian radio station here on the Gold Coast, which is Juice FM, which is a family-friendly radio station. In 2012, his political career started being elected to the Gold Coast City Council, where he's still a council member. But his beautiful Division 9 today... Division 9 covers around 35,000 residents living in the suburbs of Madurabar, Highland Park, Wurrungaree, Talai, Benogan, Gilston, Advancetown, Numanbar Valley and Natural Bridge, Springbrook and Austinville. He's a fellow basketball fan, does a lot of work with startups on the Gold Coast. He's newly married to a wonderful lady, a father of three awesome boys. He's a great man. I like to call him Captain Gold Coast for what he does for our community. He's my mate, he's Glenn Tozer. Welcome to Awesome Humans. Councillor Tozer. G'day, Brett. It is exciting to be here. Mate, first, before we start, I have to thank you from the bottom of my heart for introducing me to Sarah. <laughs> so Sarah, Sarah's my EA. She it's hard runs, to get good help these days. <laughs> she runs my life for me now, mate. I don't know what I did without her. It was she's amazing. bloody amazing, that woman. No, nah, she's good. great. I actually put an advert out for a donna. I didn't put a secretary. I put for a donor, which is donor of suits. I know, man. I know, I know who you're talking about. And the, I reckon um, Sarah is pretty much she's like it. Yeah, I found absolutely. It. And thanks to you for the feedback on it. That's, and I'll say she changed my life. So firstly, thank you very much. for Pleasure. That. We first met about five years ago at a startup weekend. Yeah. And I found you to be one of the most genuine, caring, kind people that I've met that's in a position that you're in. Mm. Most people that... Uh, are in your type of position, uh, either wankers where it's gone to the head <laughs> wow. or are people that are in it for the wrong reason. Wow, okay. Good, and good, you're good. in it for the right reason because I remember the first question I asked you when we were chatting and we are getting on, we are having a beer, why aren't you mayor? And you go, because I'd never be mayor because <laughs> I can't make a difference. I wouldn't wish it on my, my worst <laughs> enemy. wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. You have to really want it to do it. Exactly. And, and when we chatted about why you became a counsellor and all that sort of stuff, and that's the sort of stuff we're going to talk about today. So yeah, Awesome Humans is all about you because I believe you're an awesome human. So can we start at the start? What's your first ever memory? Oh, my first ever memory. I think it's it, everyone. Does everyone gets this one? Yeah. So my first ever memory, I think, uh, oh, gosh, how have I, I remember living in Wagga Wagga and I must have been about four and um, – in this street in suburban Wagga Wagga. My dad was a bank manager there and uh, I remember it might be the day we left Wagga Wagga and I had a baby sister and a brother who was about two years younger than me and I remember this feeling of incredible, just overwhelming joy when the truck backed up to the to the house to pick up our, our furniture from our house, little house in Wagga Wagga and off the back of the truck came a brand new bike. 
Oh, wow. Do you know they roll those big trucks out <laughs> and they put the rollers down and you, as a kid you're all excited because yeah. the, the moving truck's coming. <laughs> and then the, the down the truck came a brand-new bike and it must have been near my birthday or something because mum and dad at that time didn't have a lot How of money. How old do you reckon you were? I reckon I would have been four. Four? That's probably the earliest memory. There's also another memory I remember in that house where uh, religiously we used to watch Disney. So the cartoons. They're like Disney at night. Steamboat so you'd have dinner and, and then at 6.30 Disney would come on. Okay. There'd be like some sort of Disney show and it'd be on for whatever. But I remember once um, we had a rule where you had to eat all your vegetables before you could watch Disney. Ah. And I didn't eat my vegetables. So Oops. me and my, my – well, so all our family used to eat together as a, as a family when we were living in Wagga. And my little brother, who must have been two or three or whatever it was at the time, went in the other room and the baby went in the other room and mum and dad went in the other room but I had to sit and eat my veg- vegetables in the <laughs> other room and I was there was like a little gap in the door and I was trying to look through but I couldn't say enough. It was a sad memory and a happy memory. They're Did my first the two up? early memories. Did you eat all the veggies and go and I watch Disney? I don't even remember. I didn't, I didn't like vegetables. <laughs> when I became an adult, one of the first things I did was just go, you know what, vegetables, who needs them? I love vegetarian food. It goes really well with a steak. That's the way I look at it. <laughs> That's right. No, I've, I've, as I've got a bit older, I've started to eat a bit more vegetables. But no, there's I'm, no way bacon's not a vegetable. So actually, uh, it might be. I reckon you can. Eat vegetables. You'll hear about this in the next hour. I reckon I can argue around anything these days. <laughs> Is bacon a vegetable? Well, pigs are vegetarian. It's true. So therefore, bacon's vegetarian. Maybe. I mean, I know coming from. Coming from a bit of a little bit of a farming background, my, my my mother's family were all farmers, generational farmers. I think they used to put anything in the pig trough. Yeah, I suppose they don't really. So I'm not sure they're vegetables. vegetarian. I think you just don't <laughs> I've know. I've seen some movies where they, they eat them. Body, they <laughs> stick them in the pigs. You know, they'll eat anything. Yeah, that's true. Very, very true. So, can you tell us the Glen Tozer story? Let's go back to the start. Born, raised, school. Yeah, so I, I, I come from a family of five. So I have a I have a younger sister and a younger brother. My dad and my mum. Are still together, which is surprising awesome. these days, uh, but awesome. Um, and I was raised in uh, a household that moved every two or three years. So for as long as I can remember, my dad um, had been a bank manager or working at a bank and the policy back in the in the, in the the early 80s and late 70s was that um, bank managers got moved from place to place. They worked two or three years and then they moved to the next place. And so we spent few years here, a few years there. We, we started in Canberra. We moved to Wagga. We so went you were to, born in Canberra? I was born in Canberra, yeah. Mm-hmm. Moved to Wagga. And then I think we moved to Newcastle. And then we went to the Central Coast. And we went to Goss, yeah, around Gosford and Terrigal. We lived in two places in the Central Coast. How old were you then? Oh, gosh. Central Coast. I was at Gosford High when I was in year five and year six. I, think I, I grew up at the entrance. All right. So I was in Terrigal. There you go. I'm a coasty boy. There you go. We, we lived... Um, when we lived in we lived in a place called Foster before that, and we lived six houses from one mile beach in Foster, oh, which is what beautiful. A great spot. Oh, gosh. Yeah. And then in in Terrigal, we lived a bit further away from the beach. We also lived in West Gosford, and I remember the smell. I remember collecting rugby league collectible cards. Yep. Terry Mortimer, Steve Terry. Mortimer, back in the oh. day. And I remember Steve collecting rug, rugby league cards, and I remember the smell of the West Gosford abattoir <laughs> early in the morning. Oh, nothing better, back is it? Back in the day. Oh, <laughs> back in the day. And now every time I have a steak, that smell just no, just <laughs> But no, no, there, there you go. So yeah, so most of northern New South Wales coastal towns. And then when changed I, school every couple of years? Every couple of years changed school. Um, eventually got to Canberra and I um, we were in Newcastle between year seven and year nine, so that would have been 13 to 15. And then once we hit about 15, once I hit about 15, we moved to Canberra and we stayed there for about 12 years. Okay. 
so I finished my schooling and started my work life in Canberra. Um, and yeah, that's 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 the pre that's the pre work rendition so school, of school. We were. We, how hard was it to change school every two? Years? It was hard. My mum was a pretty sharp woman, mm-hmm. so she did all the kind of teaching side. My dad was good with numbers. He wasn't. Um, he left school when he was ten, and his dad had died. 10. So year 10. Year 10. Oh, so it would have been 15. Yep. But his dad died when he was 16. So he went straight into the workforce. And back then that was a pretty acceptable outcome. Did. Yeah, yeah, he became a bank teller and worked his way up through the bank over 35 years. Like no one these days, he worked for the same organisation yeah. for about 35 years, maybe 40 years by the end. And, um, and yeah, he did a, you know, they, they I was good at school. My mum was a pretty sharp woman and my dad was good with numbers and we were just... I was good. I, I did really well at school. Did you, did you find because you changed schools so often that you were sort of the outcast? Uh, had to go sort of mingling with mates and all that sort of stuff. Um, yeah, a little bit. I was never the cool kid. Mm-hmm. Um, you a nerd. I was tall and I was a nerd, mm-hmm. and I liked singing. Really, just to sing. Did you really? What sort of songs? Like, ah, uh, well, I toured with a group, a combined schools group in Newcastle called the Hunter Singers, and they took the best kids the best singing kids from each school in Newcastle and they formed them into a combined schools choir. And then they toured around Australia and we went to the US and I saw my first NBA game really? as a as a touring singer <laughs> for the Hunter Singers. So it was a Seattle, so the Seattle Supersonics play um, the Orlando Magic. So what year would that have been? Oh, gosh, that would have been if, when I was 15. So what's that, 92? Shaq? No, didn't see Shaq. Saw Sean Camp. Yes. Nice. And I think the lead, uh, the, the starting centre for the Seattle Supersonics was Benoit Benjamin. Benoit. And Gary Payton. I got Gary Payton's signature. Wow. Very excited. Got Gary Payton's signature, one of the best point guards ever. Um, yeah, so, yeah, Gary Payton. So we're going to see you on The Voice or what? No, nothing like that. We don't sing anymore? I don't want to be the singing politician, Brett. I don't want to be the singing <laughs> politician. There is a singing politician in council. Is there? It's not me. Yeah, he was a, a on a TV show, wasn't he? He, he I think he wrote Bananas in Pajamas. Really? He was on a number of TV Wombat. shows. But he, was it Wombat? He was on Wombat. He was on Wombat. He We're not talking about things. him, though. We're talking about you. I appreciate that, yeah. But, no, no, I'm not the singing <laughs> counsellor and my singing days have come to an end except in the shower or if I'm trying to impress my wife. And does that work? I love singing to my wife. Because <laughs> I know you love your music as well. I do, yeah. And, so and music and culture I think is important to our city. And so we couldn't see you sort of sitting around a, a, a campfire on stage anytime soon? No, no, I don't have any plans to be a singer or performer. I love advocating for um, the music sector and the cultural sector of the city. I think that's something that's underplayed about the Gold Coast um, for a couple of reasons. I think we have phenomenal talent that mm-hmm. is untapped. Amy and Shark, think, amazing. Oh, absolutely. But not just Amy Shark. I mean, Amy Shark's amazing, but Amy Shark is just One a great many. example. Yeah, mm-hmm. there's lots of great examples. I I caught up with a guy, a bunch of guys, or two guys, in fact, and there was four of them. They had two session musos and two main guys. Um and one of the guys based out of Palm Beach, the band's called Hollow Coves, and no one really knows them on the Gold Coast, but they're an awesome band, great band, great singing band, a little bit Simon and Garfunkel, cool mm-hmm. chilled out music, driving yeah. music. But they, um, they've been touring the US and the UK and they're about to re- record um, their, their, main, their first feature album, first debut album. They've had an EP out, but they've got a debut album coming out soon and they're reporting, uh, recording with Chris and Bear Bond, who are high-profile producers out of the UK, yeah. which is pretty exciting so times. Why don't we know about them? 
Well, they do most of their stuff online and their yep. market has been a UK and European market. Okay. So um, they played Woodford and Australian Music Week yep. this year. So they're becoming, they've just won two Gold Coast Music Awards. Wow. So they, they're, they're on the up and up. Yeah, yeah. Right? So you heard it first here. I Holo heard Coves. it first. Hollow Coast. Hollow Coast exclusive yeah, to that's Awesome right. Humans. Matt and Ryan. Matt, Matt <laughs> uh, lived in um, Palm Beach for the last four or five years and he's a, he's a proud Gold Coaster and uh, they're doing great things around the world. Oh, that's awesome. And there's a lot of that on the Gold Coast, isn't there, that when no one hears of or no one actually sort of thinks about because well, it's one of those sectors, isn't it, that is a little bit you've got to go to watch it like it's not there in your face. Yeah, I think you should. I think there's a, there's a lot of conversation right now about the commercial radio sector not supporting Australian music enough. I agree. And that's a big part. I mean, the, the, the reality of the Gold Coast is there's lots of great commercial radio stations but they don't actually play a lot of local live music. And, and to be fair... Um, Stations like Hot Tomato uh, and some of the community radio stations are doing a very good job of starting to get that word out. Yep. And now that that momentum started, I think momentum's a funny thing. You know, whether you're training to be fitter or where you're trying to improve your diet, the first couple of months, the first section of time is quite hard to get those habits formed and that momentum going. But once you actually got rolling, you're, you're rolling, you're happening. Yeah. And then it becomes habit and it becomes part of your, you know, your everyday life. And I think that's not dissimilar to the music sector. I think we've had up and down and perhaps not so much momentum, but this momentum that's happening right now with people like Amy Shark and now this great news about Holocos, but even great performing bands like Tijuana Cartel uh, and and the Mason Rack Band who work their guts out across in the kind of hard rock, pub rock scene, yep. touring around Australia. They're an amazing band. They just got live music um, act of the year, li- oh, wow. live act of the year at the Gold Coast Music Awards and they're a, they're a cracking act um, that, that uh, I think more Gold Coasters are into, but also... Broader, broadly speaking, there's lots of big acts that are coming out that sometimes people outside the city know about it before we do inside the city, which this is a good shame. Thing. Well, it's a good thing for the city. Yeah, I suppose it's good. Yeah, but I'm, I think it's a shame that we don't hear about them. It's like uh, business, Brett. Exactly. Very it's much like business. like business. There's a lot of business people, like perhaps even yourself, some days where you might spend a lot of time in a business and you might not have no. You might you might live on the Gold Coast because you love the quality of life here, but most of your customers might be overseas. Yeah, we might a lot be work in Canberra. Exactly right. This is what I'm saying. Like, yeah. there's actually it's music industry is not dissimilar to business in in that quite often people choose to live on the Gold Coast because it's just the best city to live in in the world. Without doubt. But all their customers come from out of the city, and we don't tell those stories because you know we're quite insular as a as a news reporting kind of city, and we don't grasp how great the stories are. That's why this podcast is important. You know, awesome human beings, learning more about awesome human beings based on the Gold Coast. This is yeah. really great. Excellent. So. As we can hear, you're one of the most passionate people I know and you're one of the most passionate people about the Gold Coast, hence the reason Captain Gold Coast was the Monica. Why did you become a counsellor? Oh, gosh, suck of a punishment. Is that really? No. Look, at the story of me becoming a counsellor is a bit, um, yeah, a bit, bit family-oriented, to be honest. I, I, had, I spent 10 years with um, a subsidiary of Telstra. So I started selling Yellow Pages ads. That's mm-hmm. worked for a company called Census. And I started selling Yellow Pages ads back in, oh, gosh, would have been 2002, 2003. And I was very good at that, but I uh, worked with that company for about 10 years and worked my way up from selling Yellow Pages ads to um, ultimately managing government accounts. I didn't really sell much Yellow Pages at all. I worked on digital stuff and um, the last two years were working with uh, government accounts in Queensland and Northern Territory. But in doing that role, I was living on the Gold Coast but driving to Brisbane, 275 George Street every day. And that was a, that was a terrible strain on... Um, you know, my life, relationships, yeah, hard. My friendships were, you know, I was spending 16 hours, 15 hours in the car every, every week and um, that was creating some drama. So ultimately I did that for two years and and 
uh, wanted to be a bit closer. I had, at the time I had two young children and um, young boys and I wanted to be closer to them. And so an opportunity arose in 2012 or 2011 to, um, yeah, be, be, like, be closer to the Gold Coast um, through running for local government. I had 12 local government clients in my um, – my, I was a, I suppose an account manager. I managed yep. several million dollars worth of advertising and I had a knowledge of local government um, but the office that I ran for, the division that I ran for, uh, the office was, you know, eight minutes from my house and I mm. thought, you know what, this is an opportunity to run um, a campaign. I had been uh, a director on at Juice Media uh, which, you know, as you said before, is a community radio station um, and also I was the president of my local community association. And so I had some engagement with the, the councillor who had been elected and had been serving for 12 years. Um, there was definitely an appetite um, amongst the many young families in the hinterland for some change. I think yep. they probably ultimately related to a young dad, perhaps a bit better than a, than a, than a 60-year-old man. Mm-hmm. And we ran a, a, a fairly straightforward marketing campaign and I did a lot of work, um, you know, walking the streets, knocked on three or 4,000 doors, yeah. uh, sent a few mailers out. And uh, introduced myself, and people. The appetite for change was evident. We uh, we ended up getting a fifty cent primary versus my main opponent's forty cent primary, and we we won an election, which was which was really What's good. What's that and, feeling like? Oh, like mate, that night, you're obviously you, sitting there going, "I think we've got this," but I don't know. And then, yeah. And then when it happens, is it like elation? Is it sort of, oh, thank God that's over? What? How? How's that feeling happen? It's a really. Um, it is a popularity contest. So you have this sense that, oh, gosh, geez, that door knocking in the day because you're on the booths. You know what it's like when you go on election day. Everyone's yeah. standing in the booths and I was at every booth that day and driving around booth after booth after booth and the teams were like, you know what, people like people like you, mate. Like things are going good. <laughs> and, um, you know, we had a pretty, yeah, we had a good good campaign, a very straightforward marketing campaign that people related to. And um, but the feeling, what was the emotion when you found out, yeah, I've actually won this? Yeah, joy. You get a phone call? How's that work? No, you just look it on the internet. Oh, and, go, oh, yeah, and then won. the news reports on it. So, oh, okay. Yeah. So, yeah, we, I mean, we had a good vibe um, even coming up to election day that things were going pretty well for us, um, a lot better than what people thought. And I, I think we also um, we were underestimated. I think the yep. guy who was in had probably become or, or felt a little bit entitled to the role and perhaps wasn't expecting. Um, such a solid campaign. Um, young whippersnapper. Yeah, out. yeah. yeah. Well, look, look back, we think you use this word young whippersnapper and I use it as well, but I was 36. I think by the time you learn, you're you 36, you probably learn a few things. Yeah, a few. You know, you know, you know, you don't know a lot, but you know, you know, you know, you've got that, you're starting to get the hang of life. <laughs> I actually read, I read, a, I've read a book um, by a guy called Richard Raw, R-O-H-R, Raw, and he's a Franciscan friar or monk or something, and he, he talks about, the first half and the second half of life. And he says that first half of life, you're just experimenting. You're just working. Mm-hmm. Can I swear on this show? <laughs> Bloody yeah. earth. <laughs> you're kind of working shit out. You yeah. know, you're just trying to work out what, um, what you, in the second half of life, you've kind of got the hang of it and you know what you're like. You've got a pretty good identity of who you are. And, and he talks about segmenting the first half and the second half of your life. And I think I was kind of drawing to the end of the first half of my life. I'd kind of seen that I'd made certain mistakes and, I, I had understood, I had begun to understand the person I wanted to be. And so by 36, it was very easy to to um, to deliver that kind of pitch to real people and say, yeah. you know, I want to make a difference in the community. Even in my work life, I try and do that. 
I'm volunteering in different ways. I'm a young dad. That's really important to me. And all the decisions that I am going to make as a politician, as a, as a community leader, are going to be informed by these things that I think are important to the community. I've got a bit of business background, a bit of community background, um, you know, to a lot of people in, in the Mudgeba area, my faith background is important. And so a combination of all those things come together to inform why people might buy what you have because that's really what an election comes down to. It's, it's marketing. You're pitching a product. Exactly. And the product is you and you're trying to convince people or influence people's buying decision. Yes. And they buy every four years. In fact, they buy more regularly than four years, but they buy at local government level, they buy every four years. And your job is to deliver outcomes for them that influence their buying decision when that when that. Uh, sure, they're representative. It is, yeah. But there's more than just being a representative. It's about caring about the things that they know, little things like remembering you know, Mrs. Smith's kids' names when you're at the local PNC, like just going, I, you know, I can't remember your kid's name, but, you know, I remember he was a big soccer player. How's that all going? And, you know, people relate to that and that's super important for people. And just like a great business person remembers their customers' names or remembers the per- products that they purchased, um, politics is not dissimilar to that. The best politicians care deeply for that. So when I won that first election, I think I was like, wow, all the work that I've put in to creating this product to being a kind of person that people want to trust pays off. And there's a great, you know, a great deal of personal validation in that. But I think there's also, um, there's a commercial bit of, wow, I sold a product that was really good. It was making a good sale, you know? (laughs) And so having been in sales and managing, I managed about $30 million worth of advertising and event management budget over a a period of about a decade. And uh, it was a bit like making the best sale sale. I've ever made. Yeah. Best sale I've ever made. Yeah, you're, yeah, so, yeah. you're selling a product you know a lot about. I do, yeah, and also spent a bloody <laughs> lot of money marketing as well. That first election campaign, I think, it was forty thousand dollars. Oh, really? Like that. Did you get not, that reimbursed? Nothing like that. No. No. Not not local government level. So you kind of that was funded by my own savings, and my dad helped me out a bit. He he saw that what I wanted to do in the community was important. He was like, you know what, you didn't go to uni. I didn't end up spotting the bill for that, so let, let me help you out. <laughs> let me do this one. Yeah. So, so in was, 2016, you got re-elected? I did, yeah. yeah. And was that a better feeling than the original one because was, I've actually done a good job and they want me back or they still want me? No, it was very satisfying. So my 2016 election, 2012 was a bit of a surprise. 2016 was very validating. I loved That's probably one of my most. There's a picture on the interwebs somewhere of me and my dad and it's it's a picture with me in the, in the foreground and my dad just in the background and I've just – kind of almost laughing. It was this feeling of relief and joy. Um, but we we rose our um, our primary from 50% on the booths to about 65% on the booths, which is a really big win for us. So, I mean, the overall, uh, overall outcome I think was about 64.8 or 64.7 or something like that. I can't remember exactly what it was. Still a big win. But it was a good win and having two-thirds of the, 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 the community saying, you know what, Glenn, we think you're doing a good job and we trust you. This, this idea of trust. trust thing, that's key. I love that, you know. It's so um, encouraging to have, you know, it's that, that feeling. And you, you've got kids, so you, you know what I'm talking about here. But when you, when you feel that your son trusts you, it's oh, very good for your ego. Yeah. I'm an ego-driven person. Yeah, yeah definitely. So when you, when you see your son or your wife or someone you care about put their trust in you, it's good. So just imagine that multiplied by about 24,000 voters nice. and about 40,000 people. You're like, oh, God. <laughs> Is it pressure though as well? Do you feel uh, pressure of that or you just feel, yeah, no, nah, I'm I'm good at this, I'm just going to continue? Yeah. Do you I feel under it, pressure all the time? I don't – I suppose I don't feel pressure because I feel um, it's super important to keep humble. So I've got a, a, gro- a group of really great people around me who uh, don't let me become a dickhead 
Mm. Um, it's important. Yeah, and 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 so if you're going to stay humble and you're going to be uh, calm and you're going to stay centered about what's important in life, that there's there's less pressure about whether you win or lose because you're like you go, I'm going to do my best, and if 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 I'm not going in the direction that you want, democracy would say that you have the right to to appoint someone else. Yeah. Go ahead and do that, you know. And I, I have I'm a big believer in the idea that the community will determine who's best for them. And uh, that's why I always fight for transparency and openness. And these are things that I think are really important to our democracy and our community, you know, because when people can make informed decisions, I actually, I, I believe that people will make good decisions when they're well informed about what they're, what they're considering. No one's informed enough. Yeah. Well, there's it's just lots of media, information, over information, yeah. overload, isn't it? Exactly. And people believe what they read. How do you distill what's true and what's not, Brett? Too hard. We're getting very philosophical we here. Are. We are. I don't know if this is directed. Have a sip of your beer. <laughs> so in council, you're uh, you're not the most loved councillor um, by the council laws, but you're actually probably one of the most – did you get the highest? I think you got probably one of the highest um, wins from the actual election. So the people love you, but you go into council and you've got all these people that are either against you or, or you're actually, as you said, fighting for transparency, fighting for all that sort of stuff. How's that? How do you deal with that? Yeah, I don't know. I have a pretty good relationship with my colleagues. It would be fair to say um, that uh, the mayor's office and the mayor and I differ on some very key major projects, mm-hmm. and I don't think that's affected. Um, I don't think that's affected my colleagues' perspective on me. But yeah, I've been a passionate advocate for transparency and accountability, and there have been times where, in doing that. Um, Certain councillors have got their backs up, or yep. whatever. Um, all, all that being said, I, I, you know, with those people out there who share my commitment to transparency and openness and um, community, good community outcomes, you know, we have great relationships. You're doing it for the right reason, exactly. Yeah, and I'm actually not a, I'm not opposed to losing. I think we we are so afraid of failure. I'm actually not afraid of um, not getting the outcome. I, the thing I'm afraid of is us making decisions about things that are false or misleading. That's what people care about. Um, you know, I don't mind losing a battle if we play fair. Yeah. Um, well, you said the word transparency. That's it, that's key. Yeah. That's key in everything. It's key in life, key in business, the whole lot. That's, yeah. And obviously should be key in politics. Yeah. So I've got to say I have a really um, – I have really positive relationships with quite a number of councillors. Um, I'd count Councillor William Owen Jones amongst some of my best mates. Yeah. Um, and a number of other councillors I think I get along very well with. Um, there are some that have made a very strong commitment to the office of the mayor. And I think sometimes, you know, there's an element of give and take in politics. So it you make, be, you it? have to make compromises. There are certain things I'm not willing to compromise on. And I, I suppose it'd be fair to say that other councillors might make compromises on certain issues that are of less importance to them in order to get another outcome for their community or conserve a relationship with the office of the mayor that's, that, that enables them to get better outcomes. Um, there have been times where I've made those judgment calls, but I haven't made them on the big issues. Yep. Um, and yeah, when it comes down to the city, you know, it's no secret that I think a 700 metre jetty out into the ocean is is a bit of a dumb idea. I don't think that's a sensible place to put. Not it. waves or anything that's ever going to smash the thing. So cyclones don't happen. I oh, know you like to get out there. I know, like, to, <laughs> I know. I'm not even talking about cyclones, man. I'm not even talking about cyclones. Yeah, but no, yeah, I understand. yeah. And I think also um, when the only qualified accountant looks at the feasibility study and says, I can't see how that can make sense for the ratepayer. Um, you know, I I would take the advice of the only accountant 
Yeah, of course. You know. And that, that's a really interesting point, actually, because you find that some counsellors, there's accountants, there's butchers, there's candlestick makers, there, there's bakers, whatever, they all come from different backgrounds. Mm. But And I find this in state politics as well, is that some of these people making these decisions have no idea. They've never been in business. They've never actually, they don't even know what these numbers are. They're getting advice from all these different, and they're making a, a judgment call. But it's like any business. Like I get on well with most of the people that work for me or I work with or whatever. I don't get on with them all. That's life. That's just what happens. It's very true. Yeah. You, you know, no, no office, no workplace is immune from differences of opinion. Exactly. Which or, is a good thing too. That's always good. So you're not going to become mayor? Uh, not today. No, I mean, I, I don't, I'm not saying no forever. I, I have committed to serving my local community um, for, I said, 10 years at the time, yep. uh, which is three terms, 12 years, and that, that's been my commitment at the moment. That's the commitment I'm sticking to. Um, I'm not saying no forever. Who knows what the future holds, And and but I have committed to 10 years serving my local community, and that's what I intend to do. Awesome. Um, I think I can also um, affect change um, from a position of councillor. You know, I, I think there's a, there's a, you know, I think there's a, there's change in the air, Brett. There is. You there's can change. feel it. You can feel it. You I can mean, feel people it. Are, you know, I think there's a there's definitely a, I think the coast has definitely got a, a feeling generally in the general population that we love the economy thriving. Yes. But I think the there's a feeling in the community also that we want the economy to thrive, but there's certain there's a way of doing that that can be more sustainable and sensible. Yes. And so without using stupid buzzwords like sustainable development, oh, that's not what I'm trying to say. <laughs> what I'm trying to say is that People actually want us to say no sometimes and they also want us to be uh, in, entirely focused on quality of life. And if things like That's traffic, we live here. yeah, traffic or the environment or amenity impact our quality of life um, in a negative way, I think they want um, us to, to be much more balanced about that. Um, the, the, the predominant outcome in the council when we're talking about development is pretty positive. Like we're all... We're all like there's a majority of people who want to see the, the coast move forward. Yep. Um and move forward economically. Uh so what did the on that note, the Commonwealth Games. Yeah. One of the biggest event or probably the biggest event ever to be on the Gold Coast. Yep. Good, bad, or ugly for the Gold Coast. Man, I think it was a great sports carnival. It was a sensational sports carnival. Oh, I went to, sports I went to nearly every event. <laughs> I was gonna say, man, I went to the athletics. Uh, I think I think the Commonwealth Games I, I firstly I loved it. Yep. I thought it was amazing. So, and my kids loved it. I took my kids to the athletics. Yeah. I took my wife to the table tennis. I went to a few of the cultural events. We had Archie Roach sing in our local hall in Mudrabar. Wow. It was just freaking amazing. Yeah. I loved, there were so many things about the Commonwealth Games experience that I loved. Um, but I think in any big event or any major project or any issue that we're talking about, there's this expectations and I think if you went into the Commonwealth Games thinking, you know, it's going to be a phenomenal sports carnival with the best sport, the best sports people in the, in the world yep. coming to our city and you enjoyed it for the sport, that's great. If you expected it to turn your business into some sort of thriving multi-million, multi-million dollar thing, company, yeah. I think you kind of, well, let's be realistic about objectives here. You yeah. know, every business, every person needs to be realistic about that kind of, what they're going to achieve. My son wants uh, Dreamworld in his backyard, but the yeah. practical reality it's is his dad's, happen. yeah, it's never going to happen. You know, and I think we 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 naturally move towards these high expectations of life, and we fall very quickly into these feelings of entitlement and and what some people will describe as narcissism. And it's important to fight that, like fight fight that feeling of entitlement. Nothing, you you're owed nothing in life. You 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 fight for everything, and let's 
let's be grateful. Let's have an attitude of grat- gratitude when we start talking about what that quality of life's about. And I think talking about Commonwealth Games, mm. if people entered into the assessing the Commonwealth Games from a perspective of, hey, what a great event it was to see all this sport in our city and see transport move so smoothly and to see the, the cultural events at Broadbeach and surfers and in, in, in Mudrabar in my case, um, people who I talked to who were actually at sport and at those events loved it. The people who I've seen complain the most about it are those people who didn't go to anything. Yes. No, that's very true. Or the ones that left. The ones that actually jumped on a plane and went somewhere went else because they were scared. But, uh, you know, that's, that's really nice. Let's go to some really, really important things. Andrew Bogut is coming back to Australia to play basketball in the How NBA. How awesome is that? Oh, it was like the, oh, the heavens open up and we're going to – one of the uh, basketball gods of Australian history is going to come back and play in our National League. How good is that for national basketball? Yeah, I think it's good. I think there's a few things going on in basketball right now and you've touched on something I love talking about, man. Mm-hmm. I love the basketball. One thing that's really – back in the day, probably 20 years ago now, there was a bunch of – the NBL really took off. So Jordan – Jordan was just, you know, 1990s, Jordan was killing it. Mm-hmm. And, and there was this wonderful resurgence of American basketballs who came to play in the NBL. Yep. Great imports. And ironically, they came here perhaps and they liked it because we have this great, beautiful city. We do. And they all married Australian ladies or brought their American wives over here and they had babies in Australia. And some of those babies now are just... They're, a young they grew up ben, in basketball. Ben Simmons. Ben Simmons, Dante Exum is <laughs> yep. Cecil Exum's son. A guy called Jonah Bolden's, Bruce Bolden's son, yep. played for the Brisbane Bullets. Um, he, Jonah's playing. He's been drafted by uh, the Philadelphia 76ers, but he's playing in um, he's playing in Europe right now. And uh, how good is he? He's amazing, man. Yeah, yeah. He played in the he's played in the summer league. So Jonah Bolden plays the summer league. He's he's coming back to the NBA this season. I've no doubt that he'll be playing at uh, in the NBA this season. I had this conversation with someone the other day, and like the if you look at the top ten Australian basketballers, it rivals anyone in the world. Hmm. Like the actual team, if you actually got them all on the one team. I've been tweeting about this this week. I've been oh. tweeting about this today, mate. Hey, how good would that yeah, be? Yeah, that's what Twitter's good for, bloody talking about basketball. So does Bogut make that team? Um, I think so. And I, this conversation came up today. So someone named a starting five for the Australian team that didn't include Bogut and I said, look, mate, I, don't, I just don't, I can't who, see how Who that took was. his spot? Uh, so they had, in the, in the starting five, they had Mills, Simmons, Ingalls, Baines, Von Maker who's a Sudanese-Australian refugee yeah, yeah. playing for the Bucks, And um, Maker's a good basketball player, but he's not an Andrew Bogut. He's not a starting centre. No. And I said, you put those three guys, three, four of those guys basically sit on the perimeter and shoot threes and then come down, sometimes come inside. They might shot, block shots on the de- on the defensive end. But actually having a big man to take up space inside, I, I don't think Maker's taken Bogut's spot. No. I've got a great deal of respect for Bogut. I, I think he, he's been in pretty um, – terrible uh, team situations over the last little while. Yep. I think also the other thing is Injury that, hasn't helped him, though. Yeah, injury. But also he's got a few opinions. Mm-hmm. He's not short of opinions. You're not allowed an opinion. You're not allowed in to a, have a say. In America <laughs> and in a team, I reckon there's times when having an opinion or articulating your opinion isn't like Australians just tell everyone what they think. Yeah. And I don't know if the Americans always like they that. They like that. No, they don't. So Ben Simmons. Go. Gut feeling is Bogut will kill it for the he's Kings, let me tell you. He's going to smash it. And he's going to go back and play in the NBA the next year anyway. So someone oh, will pick him up. Who knows? Ben Simmons. I've got a little word here, goat, next to it. Can he become a Jordan or a LeBron? Like I love how that at the moment they're actually comparing him to LeBron. Like he's nowhere near LeBron. No. But can he get there? Do you think, do you think he 
can do that. Can we have an Australian that's in the top three or five basketballs in history? Uh, maybe. Yeah, I mean, I think we've done it in lots of other sports, haven't we? We have. We've had the best cricketers. We've had the best rugby league players, rugby, yeah. rugby union players. I mean, you talk about global games. Golfers. They're great golfers. Earthers. We haven't ever, we've never cut it in soccer. Um, at that at that highest highest, yeah, you know, Timmy Cahill's probably top twenty, top twenty, yeah, maybe he wouldn't make the. Nah, actually, he probably wouldn't. I don't think he's made top maybe twenty. Top thirty. Yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I don't think we've ever really made, made it in soccer. But, but I think um, I think Ben Simmons is an incredible twenty-one year old. Yeah, and I think he's got the capacity to be amazing. I think uh, Australian basketball is playing in the states often fit into a role, and I, I think Ben has fit really well into his team and he's had a phenomenal coach in Brett Brown. Who, who, he's an Aussie as well. He understands but he, he, no, he has knowledge of the Australian market and has knowledge of who Australians are and how Australians play. Well, Brett Brown think, was my mentor when uh, when I was coaching basketball. Oh, my goodness yeah. gracious me, Mr McCallum. Look where he went and, uh, yeah, I don't coach basketball well, I mean, anymore. <laughs> and I think it would be fair to say that he probably learned a few things from you. Yeah, well, I'd, I'd like to think so. Oh, he's now coaching the Philadelphia <laughs> 76ers. So, I mean... He wouldn't be where he is today without you, Brett. Trust the process. I love it. That's probably he probably got that from you. I, did, I, probably, I taught him. Anyway, yeah. let's not go there. Enough about me. This is about you. Who is your greatest influence in your life? Ah, uh, probably my dad. Yeah, yeah. I think my dad's probably the. Greatest. I love how you include your dad in your social media. I yeah, sometimes I do. Every yeah. time he comes up and, and uh, you get a little photo in there with the boys and stuff. Reality, man. It's good, authentic. No, uh, I love my that's dad. Great. My, my dad's a good man. My dad. My dad worked for the same company for a long time, thirty-five years, and he was a good guy. Um, but more than that, he, he was a community minded guy. He's always been, you know, the treasurer in a local community group and, um, or whatever, you know, uh, he, I remember as a, you know, in my teenage years, he'd, he'd come home at five thirty or six o'clock or whatever. And we'd play basketball outside for 45 minutes. He just, he worked his guts out, but yeah. he always came home and spent the time, time with me. You. So, um, you know, he's probably the person who has most influenced my, um, life and, um, yeah, he's the person I come back to when I uh, make dumb decisions. You know, I wouldn't attribute any of my bad decisions to him. but He's you know. the one that say, yeah, you are a dick, son, but move on. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> and that's you exactly know. what you want to do as absolutely, a father. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. My no. kids do that now. I've obviously got four kids and my, my eldest boy, he's uh, he's. You've not worked out what's causing it, Brett. Oh, it's all over now. Yeah, okay. that's fine. <laughs> and, uh, and he comes and he does some really silly things and it's like, Mate, that was really stupid. You've really upset your mother. I'll tell you what, though, I still love you. And you give them that hug and they're just like, oh, I was going to get in so much trouble. But it's just like I think that's the dad thing you've got to do. What's your greatest achievement in life? Oh, gosh. I would probably say that I'm most proud of my kids. I love the men that my, my, my sons. Uh, no, I don't think they're an achievement in the same way that we use the word achievement. But I think there's my, my primary responsibility in life, having had children, is to um, equip my sons for life. And I think awesome. I wouldn't call it an achievement, but it's actually like you're making little humans, man. An achievement. Yeah, you're making humans, man. Find, it's, you're find making us, absolutely man. compassionate, yeah. you know, intelligent, empathic human beings that are like they're fanatical about hunting after their dreams, but they're also passionate about thinking about themselves in the context of a greater collective. You know, we, we're more than just one person. We're more than just us. We're a, we're a family unit or we're a community unit or we're a country or we're in, you know, we're a nation or, or we're the world. Like there is a, an important place that we play where one part of a broader, bigger body 
and everyone's got different functions and that's super important to remember. Um, so my biggest achievement is trying is at the moment just my kids are just killing it. They're nine, okay. seven and five and I'm loving what they're doing. You know, yeah. I, I find that good. I, I, I love winning elections. That's been lots of fun. <laughs> Professionally, that was great. Um, you know, but. And Jude, mate. Jude Kalman. Yeah, that's my wife. Well, tell, tell us about Jude. Wow. So she is spectacular woman. Who, How long have you been married now? Oh, just under a year. Under a year. So July last year we got married. So I have a horrible, um, you know, I, I, I've had probably four or five serious relationships in my whole life mm. and I married three of them. Oh, really? So, <laughs> so if we're talking about failure, if we can get a, I'm assuming this, this interview is going to get to failure eventually. Oh, well, yeah, one day. Yeah, I had some failures, let me tell you. <laughs> we all done uh, that. made some dumb decisions. But also uh, I think part of those dumb decisions are based on not knowing who you are. And so I met Jude when I, I think I probably had a much more practical um, pragmatic understanding of who I am, yep. knowing your limitations and your liabilities, knowing your strengths and qualities. Comes with age. And met, yeah, and I met I met Jude at a time where I felt like I'd got that I'd got that nailed. And she's she's amazing. So she you just has looks so happy. Oh, I am yeah, happy. Blood, that's, bloody that's happy. Awesome, yeah, no, no, no. So so we um we uh she for 10 years she worked for a company called Photo Media, a Gold Coast based digital agency that worked for lots of government clients and international telecommunications companies and worked for the Titans a lot and the Blaze, Gold Coast Blaze. She used to do all the, uh, the Blaze. footage for the Blaze. Um back the Blaze. Back in the day, yeah. So she's done lots of exciting things. Um she is an award-winning cinematographer. And then in her spare time, um, which not she doesn't have a lot of, but when she does have spare time, she travels with charities telling stories about uh, people. So people stories, capturing people stories and turning them into documentaries. So she's done, um, uh, yeah, she's done a, a, a project about a, a Madhubar-based charity that fills shipping containers with medical and education equipment, hospital equipment that has kind of come to its end of life in Australia but is pretty precious over in, in Africa. And then they ship those shipping containers to Africa to um, displaced people uh, or, or refugee communities that are, that are in need. And so one of the one of the stories that, that Jude's won an award for is and she, last couple of Wednesdays ago, um, she made a documentary called Uncontained Love, and it's about these containers that communicate love to African communities. From where can we see that? Ah, uh, you can sit, check it online if you want. Yeah, yeah. Uncontained, some, uh, love. uncontained Love. Uh, it, yeah, it's a and the one that most recent is called is about Nigeria. So she went, she travelled through deepest darkest Nigeria, and didn't die. Thank you. <laughs> um, yeah, it didn't die um, and made this documentary that's now award-winning. She also did another project while she was over there. She went to Uganda and there's a uh, a teacher from King's Christian College who had left her role at King's to uh, start an, an orphanage in school in a place called Mityana in Uganda. And Jude did a partnership with Curry and Greenbank from Channel 9 and they both went over to Uganda and obviously cut some footage here but also went over there and uh, told story of a charity called 100% Hope who run this, run this school in Uganda for, for children and particularly children uh, who are orphans. Yeah. So in Uganda uh, they still have uh, child sacrifice and wow. witchcraft and such things. So they, orphans are at particular risk of, um, of being abducted for their organs and limbs and... It's just stuff you wouldn't read in the worst horror movie. This is reality in Uganda. So, so wow. these guys take 
orphans and young people who are in um, difficult circumstances and put them through schooling and educate them and and give them a better life. And uh, Jude told a story about that and Channel 9 picked up a story through Carrie-Anne and they broadcast it nationally. So she wow. yeah, won a few little awards and 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 promoted the 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 um yeah, promoted that charity as well, which is really exciting. So those two happened in 2017 and we're now in 2018. She's got a new project which we're working on um in the initial stages working on a little trip to South Sudan and You going to? I'd love to go. I actually really excited. I'm I'm trying to incorporate Fon Maker into the oh, documentary, how would that be? but I can't. I don't know. Right. I, I've got to call Fon. I've got to call Fon and say, "Get a Fon a call. How you Thon doing, call. buddy? Hey, how you doing? <laughs> Jeez, those five block shots in game two were good. <laughs> it's very good that your coach gave you some burn there, man. That's great. <laughs> but uh, I'm not sure if that'll go down. We'll see what happens. So South Sudan is the project for this year. Excellent, mate. Well, you're a very, very proud husband. I am a super proud husband, man. A cheerleader. Awesome. She's joking with me all the time. I double as a publicist. <laughs> and you sing to us. That's even better. Hey, some quick fire questions. What's your favourite food? Oh, I love a, a lovely steak, cooked medium. That's I like steaks. Probably my favourite song. Song, gosh, um, probably Josh Pike. Lines on palms. Favourite place in the world. Gosh, that's a hard one. I'm not sure if this is made for podcasts. <laughs> Jude's arms are pretty good. Oh. <laughs> no, I think my favourite place in the world um, ever. Oh, gosh. I'm going to have to think about that one. I've I, I got to say. Quick I fire I, question. Quite quite. I was going to say favourite place in the world, probably my home. Home. I like it. Who's your basketball team? Ooh, I support all basketball teams. All- nah, that's No. You've all basketball teams team. with Aussies in it. Anyone so, with an Aussie in it? Like six teams in the US at the moment. Now it is, yeah, yeah. It wasn't always like that. I used to just watch a Golden State Warriors game. Or so, the Bulls. <laughs> yeah, I was right. The Bulls went along with was in there. But no, no, no. I uh, I support any team. You support got Australian a, basketball. I watch religiously, man. I have my NBA League Pass subscription and I watch Australian players play. Probably my favourite teams is the Utah Jazz right now. Ingles, was it 27 points he got the other night? Ingles killed it, man. <sighs> I've got a I've got a man crush on Johnny. See Joe what happens Joe when you Ingles, give him court man. time. Give him court time, they come through. I just love him. So, buddy, I really, really appreciate your time. I love catching up with you. I really love having a beer with you in a chat. So, thanks very much. And in my sense, you're an awesome human. So, thanks for joining me. Thanks, Brett. You're a champion, mate. Thanks, buddy. Hey, guys. Thanks for listening. What an amazing human. Don't forget to hit us up on all the social channels at BJ Macker and look out for more Meteorate Podcasts.